Please turn to the back of your hymn book once again to page 914. And then we're going to open God's Word to the book of Romans in a very familiar passage in connection with Article 15. It's entitled here, Contrasting Reactions to the Teaching of Perseverance. This teaching about the perseverance of true believers and saints, and about their assurance of it, a teaching which God has very richly revealed in His Word for the glory of His name and for the comfort of the godly, and which He impresses upon the hearts of believers, is something which the flesh does not understand, Satan hates, the world ridicules, the ignorant and the hypocrites abuse, and the spirits of error attack. The bride of Christ, on the other hand, has always loved this teaching very tenderly and defended it steadfastly as a priceless treasure. And God, against whom no plan can avail and no strength can prevail, will ensure that she will continue to do this. To this God alone, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, be honor and glory forever. Amen. Please open your Bibles now to the book of Romans. We're going to turn to the eighth chapter, reading verses 18 to 39, and focusing primarily on verses 37 to 39. Romans 8 and verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope, for why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait with it with perseverance. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. 
What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So far, the reading of God's holy word. I encourage you once again to keep it open before you as we consider a doctrine loved by the bride. Joseph Scriven is a name that you may or may not recognize. But if you don't recognize the name, I suspect most of you, if not all of you, are familiar with some of the work that he has done. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Scriven's hymn has been printed over a billion times. He never intended it for publication, but by the providence of God, it was printed and quickly became a well-loved hymn. The poetry came to him through great sorrow and trial. Scriven had some extremely difficult experiences in his life. He was born in Ireland in 1819. After obtaining his degree in 1842, he fell in love with a girl and in two years became engaged. But on the eve of their wedding day, he suffered a terrible blow when his bride-to-be, while crossing a bridge over the river Ban, was thrown from her horse and drowned in full view of Scriven, who was awaiting her on the other bank. Scriven later remarked, True solace and support was only found in my dearest friend, Jesus Christ. Eventually, he emigrated to Canada. He established a school in Brantford, Ontario, and later in Clinton. He often preached and distributed gospel tracts. Finally, he settled near Peterborough in the Rice Lake area, where he became a private tutor to several of the local families. There he met a woman named Catherine Roche. And in 1854, they planned to be married. However, prior to the wedding, Catherine was baptized by immersion in Rice Lake. And because of the cold April water, she caught pneumonia and after some time, passed away. It is said that Scriven wrote the words of his hymn to comfort his mother in Ireland. She had been looking forward to his marriage and he knew that she would be brokenhearted. 
To comfort her, he wrote the first stanza, which I quoted a moment ago, what a friend we have in Jesus. Scriven later remarked, looking upon the still face of my sweet Catherine, I consecrated my heart, my life, and my fortune to the service of Christ. For the rest of his life, Scriven brought the gospel to those who never darkened the doors of a church. He preached on street corners, to small gatherings in homes, and to crowds at fall fairs. With humility, he called sinners to repentance. His messages were marked by frequent quotations from Scripture, sometimes in quoting entire chapters from memory. Because of his zeal, he was sometimes mocked, had mud balls thrown at him, and was beaten. Once he was even jailed for preaching on the streets of Port Hope. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Scriven's life was marked by great compassion for the poor. He cut wood for those who could not afford it. When he found a mother with small children and a dying husband, he paid their rent, provided them with a stove, wood, and other necessities. And above all, he introduced the dying husband to Jesus, the friend of sinners. He gave virtually everything away to those who were in need. Then, when his health began to fail, he was cared for by a friend. While he was bedridden, his friend heard him repeating, I am the Lord, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I am the Lord, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Later, when his friend entered Scriven's room, he found his bed empty. At noon the following day, his body was found in a creek just a few yards from the home. It is thought that Scriven wanted a drink of cold water and in his weakened condition fell into the water and drowned. Townspeople remarked that water had once again played a tragic role in Scriven's life. Brothers and sisters, most people would not describe Scriven's life as a happy one. There were many sorrows, yet he was able to write these words. Are we weak and heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care? Precious Savior, still our refuge, take it to the Lord in prayer. Do thy friends despise, forsake thee? Take it to the Lord in prayer. In his arms he'll take and shield thee. Thou wilt find a solace there. Congregation life is not always easy. As Christians, we sometimes face situations that take us completely by surprise. There are times when we feel as though the trials of life are going to crush us. It is during those difficult seasons that we can draw comfort from the biblical doctrine of perseverance. The Canons of Dort, fifth head, article 15, tells us that while the flesh does not understand this doctrine, and while Satan hates it, the world ridicules it, the ignorant and, and hypocritical abuse it, and the spirits of error attack it, the bride of Christ has always very tenderly loved this teaching and defended it steadfastly as a priceless treasure. Perseverance is a doctrine loved by the bride. 
The passage that I want to consider with you this morning is one that strongly emphasizes our security in Christ. Romans 8, 31 to 39 has been called a hymn of security, a hymn of assurance, a triumph song, the highest plateau in the whole of divine revelation, a mountaintop paragraph, the Everest of the letter, and thus the highest peak in the highest Himalayan range of Scripture. Whatever title you want to give it, these verses certainly offer great comfort to the believer. Sometimes as Christians, we can be fearful about our security. At times, we can be sorely troubled on account of our failures and sins. As another hymn writer said, our sins rise up against us, prevailing day by day. There are times when our sins or the circumstances of life throw us into discouragement and we begin to wonder whether we will really share in the victory of Christ. It is in those moments that we need to turn to a passage like this where the Lord assures us of His unfailing love. In verse 36, the Apostle Paul said that the Christians are like sheep to be slaughtered. But then in verse 37, he went on to say that we are more than conquerors. It seems like an odd thing to say that sheep are conquerors, super conquerors. You may think of lions or grizzlies that conquer, but we don't think of sheep as conquerors, right? Sheep are not strong. They're weak. They're helpless. How can it be said that they are conquerors? They are conquerors because they have been loved by Jesus Christ and have been made conquerors through Him. It's important that each one of you here today know yourself to be a sheep of God. How do you become a sheep? Sheep who are conquerors? By repenting of your sin and putting your trust in the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who was slain in our place. To become a sheep of God, you must acknowledge that you're a sinner. And you must turn to the one who alone has the power to pardon sinners. And then knowing your salvation in Christ, you can be assured that nothing, nothing can separate you from his love. Here in Romans 8, the apostle asked five questions to remind us of the amazing privileges of belonging to Jesus Christ. Five questions. Look at verse 31b. If God is for us, who can be against us? Verse 32, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Verse 33, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Verse 34, who is he who condemns? And then verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? The questions to the, the answers to these questions are so encouraging. We are bound to Christ with the unbreakable bonds of his love. In verses 38 and 39, Paul lists nine potential separators of Christians from the love of God, eight of them in pairs. He lists them and then proceeds to dismiss each one. Let's look at this list so that our hearts may be encouraged by God's soul-strengthening word. 
First of all, verse 38. Can death or life separate us from his love? Can death or life separate us from his love? Death is first on the list. Death is the one thing that none of us can escape. Every single person in this building is going to die someday unless Jesus returns before then. In 50, 70, or 80 years, you will all most likely be dead. Whether you like to think about it or not, death is inescapable. You are going to die. I am going to die. For many people, death is a frightening thought. Someone's once said that men fear death as children fear the dark. Men fear death as children fear the dark. From a biblical perspective, those who are not Christians have good reason to fear death. Those who are not Christians have good reason to fear death. When we die, we stand before our Creator and Holy judge. And Scripture tells us that those who have not trusted Christ will be condemned eternally. That's a very fearful thought, to experience forever the holy wrath of God in hell. That's utterly terrifying. Therefore, those who are not Christians have good reason to be afraid of death. But for the Christian. Death is not the entrance to eternal suffering, but rather the gateway to eternal life. Death does not separate us from the love of God. Rather, it brings us directly into His presence where we may enjoy the unimaginable pleasure of His love and glory. Instead of separating us from the love of God, it brings us into a much more beautiful experience of His love. Death may separate us from this world, the things of this world, and the people of this world, but death cannot separate us from His love. By His death and resurrection, Christ has conquered death. Therefore, our death is the gateway to everlasting life. Philippians 1.23, the apostle said, I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. To live is Christ and to die is gain. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Death increases nearness and fellowship with the living Christ. Yes, it may be separation from family and friends and separation from the body and separation from all of earth's pleasures, but it is no separation from his love. It is homecoming. It is homecoming. But if death cannot separate us from the love of God, what about life? As I said a moment ago, life can be extremely difficult so that sometimes we don't feel his love. Sometimes it may look and feel as though we're separated. In the challenges of real life, we sometimes feel alone and insecure, detached from God. Sickness, a hospital bed, accidents, sorrow, pain, poverty, 
family struggles, loneliness, war, disease, poverty, old age, loved ones taken from us. There's numerous miseries in life and situations that overwhelm us like a flood. And sometimes we feel abandoned. From time to time, we feel as though we're hanging from our fingertips with no solid ground beneath our feet. Henry Dempsey was flying his 15-passenger plane from Lewiston, Maine to Boston when he had an unforgettable experience. At 4,000 feet, he heard a noise at the back of the plane where the rear stairs are. He turned the controls over to his co-pilot and walked to the back of the plane. At that moment, the plane hit turbulence and knocked him against the door and it fell open. Dempsey was sucked partway out, fell face down on the steps and, and grabbed for something, anything that might save his life. He caught a railing and held on. The co-pilot thought he had fallen out and headed to a nearby airport. When, he, when they landed, they found Dempsey with his face 12 inches from the runway and his hands so tight around the rails that his fingers had to be pried open. When I read that story, I thought to myself, as Christians, there are moments when the ground seems to give way below us and we feel as though we're hanging from our fingertips. The wind, the suction, the gravity, and the noise that swirls around us threatens to pull us to destruction. As Dempsey lay upside down, partway out of the plane, 4,000 feet over the Atlantic, with his fingers clenched around the rails, so there are moments when the Christian may feel as though he's hanging by a thread over the pit of misery, guilt, and despondency. Life is not always easy. When you go through mind-numbing or sinful situations, you don't always feel the love of God. You don't always feel like he's with you and that he cares. If you've never experienced that, I suspect most of you will at some point in your life. But brothers and sisters, when you go through those difficult experiences, you need to remember that your worth is not in what you feel or do or in what you say or in how you act, but your worth is in Christ Jesus alone. Your worth is in his righteousness. I suspect there were moments when even the Apostle Paul did not feel the love of God. His life was incredibly difficult. Just read the list of trials recorded in 2 Corinthians 11, and you will stand amazed at the things that he endured. And in addition to those things, he struggled with his own sin, a struggle which he described in Romans 7. Therefore, when he penned these words of Romans 8, he was not writing as an armchair theologian. He knew suffering, pain, and failure. This is no mere academic presentation. Paul suffered greatly. And yet he was able to say, I am persuaded that the trials and sorrows of life cannot separate us from his love. Brothers and sisters, even when you don't feel his love, you have these promises to stand on. Feelings or no feelings, the text assures us that we're never alone and abandoned. Neither death nor life can separate us from God's love. 
But then in verse 38, Paul goes on to mention angels and principalities. Can angels or demons separate us from the love of God? Perhaps you're wondering, why would Paul mention angels? Surely the holy angels would never try to separate the believer from God's love. Well, that's true enough. Holy angels would never do such a thing. But what Paul is doing here is speaking hypothetically. He did the same thing in Galatians 1 when he said, if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. Of course, a holy angel is not going to preach a false gospel. Neither is a holy angel going to try to separate a Christian from the love of God. He's posing a hypothetical situation. He's saying, even glorious, mighty angels could not separate a Christian from God's love. As powerful as angels may be, they could never break that bond of love. And then Paul goes on to mention principalities or demons, fallen angels. Can demons, with their crafty, deceitful, wicked ways, can demons lure the sheep of God away from their master so that we become separated from Christ? The Bible contains numerous warnings about the unseen demonic powers. Paul devoted a whole portion in Ephesians 6 to describe the unseen spiritual battle that you are in. He told the Ephesians that we wrestle against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. And he told them to put on the armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Demons are real. They're unspeakably evil and destructive. They use their power to demolish, break down, and attack the children of God. Every believer feels the pain of that spiritual conflict, whether we're at home, at work, school, university, or on the beach at a on a family vacation. Whether you are on a sickbed or out shopping, demons are trying to tempt you, to lead you astray. Every man, woman, or child who loves the Lord wrestles continually with demonic temptation and opposition. But brothers and sisters, can evil, God-hating demons separate the Christian from the love of God? Paul says, absolutely not. I am persuaded. Yes, the battle is real and at times very intense and messy. Scripture speaks of the fiery darts of the wicked one. It mentions the schemes, wiles, crafty methods of the evil one. But no matter how deceptive the devil may be, he cannot snatch the true sheep of God from his hand. Can you see why Article 15 of the canon says, Satan hates this doctrine? Satan hates this doctrine. While he strives with all his power to lead God's people astray and bring them to eternal ruin, he cannot do it. God's grace remains undefeated. Furthermore, having mentioned life and death, angels and demons, Paul went on to mention, end of verse 38, have a look there, the present and the future. 
the present and the future. Can things present or things to come separate us from the love of the Savior? Is there anything that we are experiencing in the present or is there anything that we will yet experience in the future that can separate us from God's love? The challenges that we encounter right now can be great. And the challenges that are yet to come can be even greater. But we need to ask ourselves, who is Lord of the present and the future? Who is in charge of the circumstances of our lives? Who is in control of poverty and prosperity, sickness and health, fruitful years and barren years, rain and drought, war and peace? Who's Lord and master of the universe? present is in God's hands, the future is in God's hands, the life to come is in God's hands, then can the present or the future separate the child of God from his love? The answer is a definite no, no. If Jesus has died for you, he will never let you go. That's why the Apostle Paul was able to say just a few verses earlier, verse 28, that word, that verse that you've probably all memorized, that we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. For the child of God, even the difficulties of life are used for our well-being. God orchestrates every event, even the tragedies for the good of his people, even when we don't understand. Sometimes we may wonder what the future has in store for us. Sometimes we might worry that we won't be able to stand it. We need to remember that the future is God's. He knows, he directs, he's in charge of it. Lisa Beamer was left with three small children when her husband, Todd, went down in Pennsylvania because of the terrorists on Flight 93. You'll recall that Todd is is the one who said, let's roll. By the grace of God, Lisa was later able to say this, I quote, God knew the terrible choices the terrorists would make and that Todd Beamer would die as the result. He knew my children would be left without a father and me without a husband. Yet in his sovereignty and in his perspective on the big picture, he knew it was better to allow the events to unfold as they did rather than redirect Todd's plans to avoid death. I can't see all the reasons he might have allowed this when I know he could have stopped it. I don't like how his plan looks from my perspective right now, but knowing that he loves me and can see the world from start to finish helps me say, it's okay. Lisa went on to say, if we believe wholeheartedly each moment that our destiny rests in the hands of Jesus Christ, the one with ultimate love and ultimate power, what do we have to be concerned about? Of course, our humanity clouds this truth many times, but hanging on to glimpses of it keeps everything in perspective. Our destiny rests in the hands of Jesus Christ, the one with ultimate love 
and ultimate power. Our destiny rests in the hands of Jesus Christ, the one with ultimate love and ultimate power. Lisa also said this, faith means that regardless of the circumstances, we take him at his word that he loves us and will bring us to a good result if we just trust and obey him. Obviously, the ramifications of this understanding have been tremendous for me since 9-11. She wrote in her memoir, you think you deserve a happy life and get angry when it doesn't always happen like that? In fact, you are a sinner and deserve only death. The fact that God has offered you hope of eternal life is amazing. You should be overwhelmed with joy and gratitude. Brothers and sisters, that from a young mother of three small children who lost her husband in what appeared to be a senseless act of terrorism. She was able to say that things present or things to come, present or future, could not separate her from the love of her Lord and Savior. Can you see why Article 15 of the canon says, the flesh the carnal mind is unable to comprehend this doctrine and the world ridicules it. From the perspective of the natural man, it seems absurd. The unsaved do not understand the power of grace. Then having mentioned life and death, angels, and demons, the present and the future. Paul also mentions what? Powers. The end of verse 38. Can powers separate us from Jesus' love? It's difficult to know just exactly what Paul meant when he spoke of powers. He could be referring to spiritual forces. However, he's already done that by mentioning angels and principalities, demons. Another possibility is that he used this word to describe people in positions of authority. In verse 35, he mentions persecution. Throughout history, Christians have been persecuted by those who are in positions of power. The early church suffered terrible persecution under the emperor Nero. He would have Christians burned alive to light up his gardens at night, human torches. And we know that persecution continues today. It is happening all over the world. We are told that thousands of Christians are martyred every year because of their faith in Jesus Christ. The time of peace that we have enjoyed here in North America is unusual. Throughout history, the norm for Christians has been persecution. Brutal governments have often suppressed Christianity. But can such powers, people of authority, drive a wedge between the sheep and the shepherd? Can wicked, ungodly, Christ-hating rulers tear us away from our union with Jesus? Once again, the answer is a resounding no. No. But then in verse 39, Paul goes on to mention height and depth. Can height or depth separate us from his love? 
Is there anything above us in this vast universe? Is there anything in space that can threaten our relationship with God? Look up into the sky. Could there be some unknown menacing power that would surprise us and destroy our relationship with Christ? Or is there anything below our feet, below the surface of the earth that can threaten us? Or can anything in the depths of hell stand between the Christian and his Savior? Paul says, no. No matter how high up you go or how deep down you go, you will never be threatened by a power that can nullify God's love for his people. Nothing in highest heaven and nothing in the deepest hell. And lastly, verse 39, just to make sure he didn't miss anything, Paul said, is there anything else in all creation, any other created thing that can destroy our relationship with the one who saved us? Look around you in every direction. Can you name one single thing in all creation that can overcome the love of Christ? Paul declared emphatically that no created thing can separate God and his people. Dear friends, these verses are a wonderful expression of confidence in the God of all grace. His love for his people is so strong that nothing can break it. The believer is 100% secure in Christ. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. The apostle was fully convinced of these truths. They filled him with great joy. His confidence was based on the greatness of God's love in Jesus Christ who came into this world to die for his people. And so I want to ask you this morning, are you also convinced of these truths? Are you also convinced of these truths? Have you understood in your own life the unbreakable love of Christ for sinners? Are you more than a conqueror through faith in him. Can you say with the apostle, I am secure through Jesus Christ alone. I am persuaded that he will keep me because of the blood of the cross. Someone once sent me a card with the following words on the front. When you are the neediest, he is the most sufficient. When you are completely helpless, he is the most helpful. When you feel totally dependent, he is absolutely dependable. When you are the weakest, he is the most able. When you are the most alone, he is intimately present. When you feel you are the least, he is the greatest. When you feel the most useless, he is preparing you. When it is the darkest, he is the only light you need. When you feel the least secure, he is your rock and fortress. May you be strengthened in knowing that when you can't, he can. Congregation, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Not death or life. 
Not angels or demons, not present or future, not powers, not height or depth or any other created thing. Is there any greater security than that? Any greater victory than the victory of Christ? Any greater blessing than the power of His unfailing love? God will grant to all His people, all His sheep, joy in the all-satisfying glory of the Lord, and that will continue and increase for all eternity. Trust in Jesus. And together with believers of all ages and places, you will be satisfied, fully satisfied in the love of God forever. Reject Him, and you will be separated from His love forever. So as you go out into this new week, trust Him. Thank, praise, and worship Him for that unbreakable, unconquerable, unfathomable love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is a doctrine loved by the bride. And so we bring this to a close by echoing the conclusion of the canons of Dort. To this God alone, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, be honor and glory forever. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Lord, we stand before you as in ourselves broken, weak, sinful people. We who so easily would turn away, prone to wander, as we sing, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it prone to leave the God I love. And yet, despite our weaknesses and our failures and sins, in Christ Jesus, we are more than conquerors. We thank you for these wonderful verses. Lord, there are times when we do feel separated from your love. As we live in this world of hardships and trials, sorrows, death, times when we lie on a hospital bed, we don't always feel your nearness. But we thank you for the truth of these words that whether we feel it or not, that all who are in Christ Jesus are kept forevermore. And so we pray, Lord, that if there are any here who are not your sheep, that they would turn to the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And that together, Lord, we may rejoice in that unconquerable love. And so receive our praises as we conclude this service. May we offer them to you as an expression of our confidence and joy and gratitude. And Lord, as we interact in the fellowship hall later, may we speak together of that comforting, unconquerable love of Jesus.
that regardless of what the circumstances may be in our life, you hold us in the palm of your hand, grace that cannot be conquered. Encourage us, lift us up, support us, those of us who have to stand at the graveside in the coming week to remember these things. Hear us, Lord, in the name of Christ, who gained the victory for us. Through the blood of the cross, we are secure. Amen.